Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, we're live. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, my one of my closest friends, Dion White. Welcome, Dion. Hello. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Hello, hello. <laughs> thank you for agreeing to, to be on the podcast to talk about something uh, that's very important. Um, before we get started, could you just give a little bit of background about yourself? Absolutely. Um, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, been in Texas for uh, moved to Texas about uh, seven years ago, Houston, Texas, and I've been here ever since. Now I live in Dallas. Been here for about eight months, and uh, I am a uh, work for the corporate corporate America. I'm a banker and uh, uh, HIV activist, as well as a worship leader and singer. So. Yeah, that's me. Awesome, awesome <laughs> singer. I taught you everything you know about singing. I'm just joking. You know what? You didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> For those who watch, I, I have a lot of friends that are great singers, and I cannot sing, so I always tease them about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I've known Dion since the second grade. Um, okay. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about um, HIV, sexuality, and the church. Um, like Dion said, he's a HIV activist, um, newly HIV activist, um, and he recently um, became became public with the fact that he has is HIV positive. Um, Dion, what made you um, decide to want to tell the world that you are HIV positive? Uh, good question. Um, well, maybe want to tell or go public with it was, uh, first of all, I didn't see anybody who was like me, who loved God, who dealt with homosexuality, who was in the church. Um, and I felt like I needed to see or hear a voice. Um, and I wanted to be a healing to somebody else or a help to somebody else. And what I didn't see, I told myself I would just become. So that was my reason for coming out and being public with this, you have a lot of people who are still uh, dealing with the stigma of HIV, and it's causing, it's still causing a hoopla and turmoil, and people are still shunning those who are HIV positive and, uh, and uh, infected with AIDS. They're still turning them away. So I felt the need to let them know that it's not your kryptonite like it used to be. It's not the death sentence. So my job was to become uh, what I did not see in the church or sometimes even in the world. So that's why I came, decided to come out about it. Awesome. And I think that's great. I think that's very brave and um, courageous of you. And I commend you um, often about it. So um, just, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very impressed with your bravery and your courage. So thank you for, for being courageous. Um, we're going to get a little bit deeper into it. Uh, uh, this is a deep question, uh, but I know that you want to be transparent and open to help somebody else. How did you uh, contract HIV? Well, um, I found myself um, moving to Texas. I found myself uh, 
uh, celibate for a while, not having sex at all, um, and uh, found out that I was uh, talking to somebody who I was befriending with really cool, really good friends, but I knew everything about them. Uh, that's what I thought. We shared almost everything together, friendship, uh, conversations. We actually talked more about dating women than we did anything else. Nothing about homosexuality came up. And uh, one day I found myself really into this person. And um, I said, I really, I decided to have sex with this person. And that moment I was just like, make sure you don't give me, because I trusted the person. I was just like, make sure you don't, don't give me nothing or it's going to be on. We're going to fight and just being transparent. Um, but uh, from that day forward, we would mess around every once in a while. And he was the only one I was talking to. And I found myself sick uh, in, in, in May of 2012. And I had the flu. And it was really uh, devastating because I normally, I don't get sick like that, never get sick. And um, so I was sick for seven days, like on the floor about to pass out type sick. So um, I went to my doctor, told him everything that I was doing, and uh, he told me I was HIV negative, no problems. I was just like, woohoo, thank you, Lord. Um, did not sit with that person again. I told myself, I said, I'm going to go back to the doctor in a few months. Went back to the doctor uh, in October 2012, and um, the doctor called me and was just like, hey, I need you to come in. I left work. I was looking good, too, that day, you know, just. You know, just look at that. But I went, I, I went to the doctor. I had my best friend on the phone, and the doctor reported and gave me the news. And she said, you're HIV positive. With no, no type of feeling, I actually said, okay. And she said, did you want me to call your job, tell them you're not able to come in? I said, no, I, I have to go to work. And so I went back to work, got off the phone with my best friend, um, confronted the person who uh, I contracted the disease from and, uh, you know, told him that, hey, you've, you've had your life, you lived it, you have kids, and I don't. And I felt like the world was caving in, caving in on me, and it took me for a loop. Uh, not too long, but I was just like, man, I can't do anything anymore. So I felt like before anybody knew anything about, you know, my status, I already gave up on myself. And I was just like trying to shut everybody else away. I'm like, I'm not going to go to this church right now. I don't want to do this. I'm just going to be quiet and just sit back. And so um, that full year, it was going into 2013. It was a really devastating year, but it was also a fully loving year with God, uh, you know, just embracing me and telling me that he loves me despite what had happened to me. So that's how I contracted the disease. And um, again, it wasn't, I went through depression for maybe three months, but I got out of it because I'm a type of person. I'm too, too much. I'm too full of life. I don't see the reason to just sit back on life. And so uh, after that, I just kept living and just kept going. So, yeah. Um, when, when you, one of the things, cause we want to talk about, sexuality in the church and HIV in the church. You met uh, this gentleman in church. Mm -hmm. He was a leader at church. Um, uh, When when you engaged, 
uh, we, when you had the encounter with him, he was going through a divorce. So there were so many layers to um, your interaction with Absolutely. this disease in the church, uh, mm-hmm. because most people would think, okay, this is happening outside of the church, but this right. is happening inside in the church, <laughs> right? In the church. How was that for you? Did you feel any type of way about the fact that this is a person I met in the church? When I met them, first of all, they were it seemingly in a happy, healthy relationship. Um, you know, it was it wasn't the latter that you know other things started happening. How how was that for you? When it, are you talking about for as with the person and then dealing oh, with just, just wrestling with engaging with meeting someone in church? Did you have uh, questions for God or? Did I question God about after contracting it? Mm-hmm. Well, not really. I, I know that the person that I liked and I actually came good friends with and trusted, I really did love as a friend. Um, and it hurt me to my heart because I'm a, I, I don't want to say I trust hard, but I do trust to a point where I'm giving you my all, thinking that I'm receiving and you're going to receive from me. And uh, that was, a, I think that was a downer for me. Uh, somebody in the church, I'm thinking you're going to tell me the truth, be honest with me. And I didn't get that. And so now I, found my, I find myself now these days, I, I'm like this to everybody. Oh, no, I can't. No, no, no. I, I don't know you. I don't know how you're going to treat me. I don't know um, how is this going to, how is this going to turn out? Um, but uh, to that point, yeah, I, it's devastating that it happened in the church. Now, the act didn't ha- happen in the church. Let me make sure of that. The act didn't happen in the church. It was outside of the church, but it was a, uh, it was a uh, dominant and strong leader in the church as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that could be, that's another layer that's very, can be very difficult to Absolutely. process uh, going through all of this. Uh, mm-hmm. So many layers. So I, yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, when we talk about, we, you know, we we said, you know, we we were going to address three things in this mm-hmm. conversation: HIV, sexuality, and the church. Um, when we talk about your just church experience growing up, and you dealing with issues of sexuality, um, how was that in your? Um, teenage years, uh, middle school and high school, uh, where did you find yourself as it relates to sexuality in those years? To be honest, it really, uh, finding myself, it was, it was up and down, to be honest. It started pre-teen, teen years. So I know around uh, maybe 10, 11, I found myself doing things way, and actually way before then in second grade when we were in school, you know, um, I found myself being curious with other little boys and same thing with other little girls as well, but it was more liking to little uh, same age boys at that time. Uh, And then as I got older, it really hit me when I was 13 or 14, uh, when I was going to uh, a church, there was a gentleman, he was like maybe two years older than me. He would come into the restroom and he'd be like, what's that? In the stall, I'm like, we have the same thing. I don't know. I don't understand the question, but <laughs> that's what happened. And it progressed. And he actually became, I don't want to say he became 
my pimp, but he was the one that I always went back to uh, when I knew I wanted to do something or I wanted to act out how I felt. That was the one that I actually uh, took a liking to. Um, very, he was very dominant. Uh, we never fought or anything like that, but very dominant. And I found myself uh, at that age 13, in between 12 and 13, finding myself in the restroom with him majority of the times at church. When I got done singing, I'm in there or um, something like that. Uh, and then as I got older, he introduced me to an elder um, at a convention that we were at. And the elder was 35 and I was 14. And he told me that the elder wanted to actually meet up with me uh, during church after, well, in his car. And from that moment on, I found myself in his car and we were doing things that we should not have been doing, but it progressed and we were talking on and off for about four years. So all of my high school years, I was, um, it was a relationship, but I was off and on having sex with the, somebody who was much older than me. And I found myself thinking, this is who I want to be with. This is who I love. This is who I like. Um, I was acting out and, you know, with my parents for just like having, you know, attitude problems and they not knowing what was going on. So as I got older, um, he left. The gentleman who I was talking to, 35, he was about 40 then. <laughs> he, um, he ended up leaving and left the church. And I never saw him again, so I found myself going through the motions and finding other opportunities with other men. And then the same person who uh, I engaged in sex with, I don't want to say the first time, but I kind of started everything with at the age of 12 and 13, he introduced me to the chat line. So I started having sex with men off of the chat line, uh, multiple men. And as I got older, it kind of stopped. And then I started talking to one person at a time and it being more consistent. But that was, that was always in the church. And I found myself talking to more people in the church than I did anybody outside of the church for as uh, relationships or, or uh, sex-wise. And um, that was basically majority of the shaping of my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Like you said, a lot of your interactions or your meeting people was at church. Do you think that the church creates a safe space uh, for these types of conversations? Do you think you could have went to anyone in your church during that time and said, this is what I'm dealing with? And people wouldn't have looked at you a certain type of way. The mindset I had back then, I can't say that they would believe me or not. Um, I was always scared to tell my parents because they thought that that was wrong. And at the time, in my mind, it was just like, yeah, Dion, that's not right. But your body is loving what you're feeling and you found somebody who's consistent and it's easier. You don't have to worry about, you know, being uh, rejected by a female who wants to see a guy who has on Jordans or play basketball. Sorry. Just not my cup of tea. <laughs> That's not what I, you know, I do. But um, I don't think that during that time it would have been um, something I could have been able to do. Uh, 
I would not have been able to tell anybody because I, I no lie, I kind of did like what I was doing, even though I was that young. I liked it, and there were moments when I wanted to stop, but I was just like, this is, this is reality. This is a reality. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of helped you uh, temper it? I know, when did you come to know Christ? Or when did you, you know, there was a conviction there uh, where you had kind of a shift in mindset? Um, well, I was on maybe my last, <laughs> I had an encounter with somebody right before I went to Bible study. I think I was, I was about 17 years old because I gave my life to the Lord when I was 17. And I never forget, it was, I was in the middle, I just finished, I did have sex. And then after that, I found myself um, in the church Bible study. And I never forget, my pastor, she said, it's going to be okay. And in so many words, she didn't understand what that meant for my life and what it did for my reality. Because I was just, I got tired of, I don't know if I was trying to find love. I don't know what, what it was, but I kept saying, this is not, this is not me. Or I was just sleeping with so many people. It was just like, something has to give. And so that's when I started diving totally into the word and I was consistent. Uh, I had my moments, but then I found um, I had people like you and uh, certain other people in the church who I can go to and they knew all about me and there was no judgment. But as I got older, you know, reality continued to set in and, I was just like, God, I love you today. You, you know, I love you. I'm with you. And I just realized that certain struggles or certain realities, um, they stay longer than you want them to. <laughs> and, but when I gave my life to Christ, it was the most beautiful thing I could have ever done uh, because he took on what I could not take on myself. And at the age of 17, it changed my whole life. And I'm grateful for that moment. And where I am now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we kind of going to bring it full circle, but I mm-hmm. want to talk about uh, the, the aspect of you and in, in the church and being a worship leader um, in the church. Uh, because I think one of the things that, you know, I'm passionate about is making sure those who are in, leadership in music ministries and things of that nature get the care from their leadership that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you said that you told your pastor that you had contracted the disease and this was, you know, fast forward to, I mean, a couple years ago. And I remember asking you, had he followed up with you? And you said no. And I was very disappointed in that because I felt like, there's a gap sometimes between uh, understanding that this person, while they are gifted, they're still a human being and a soul. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so um, do you think that as a leader in church during music, because you're a very gifted singer, one of the, the most talented uh, men as far as singing, I know. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not, you, I mean, you you know, my favorite is Marvin Winans. Uh, <laughs> 
but but you up there, you very talented and gifted worship leader. Um, do you think that the church um, can do a better job of catering to or checking on those who lead worship? Yes, absolutely, they can. Um, I know that the the music ministry is such a vital part of the church. Um, you have preaching and then you have the worship ministry. Those are the two people are two um, large dynamics in the church that you see most of. And so you want to make sure that they're being taken care of so that they may be able to speak and sing to the people they have to minister to. And I don't think that the church is doing a good job in speaking life into those who are leading. Uh, to be honest, the, hmm, let me see, how can I put this? The church is more concerned about the gift than they are the soul. And the reason why is because the gift draws crowds. Ain't that something? It draws crowds. And money. But, and money. Come on. <laughs> But at the end of the day, the thing is, after you have that, the person who drew in the crowd, guess what? They're home, depressed, maybe want to kill themselves, um, don't know what to do, may not have the funds uh, to do whatever they want to do, and they're left with nothing. But as long as that gift is being displayed in the middle of a service, all hands on deck. And I think the church the pastor should be speaking more into, or the minister should be speaking more into those who are more prevalent, more um, out there in the ministries because they go before your people every Sunday, day in, day out, and Wednesday and Tuesday. And I don't see that. And music ministries are running on fumes. They don't know. Uh, we could be doing so much more, but because you rather just use the gift, use it, use the gift, use the gift, use the gift, and not take care of the person who's behind the gift. You, you leave us to die spiritually, and so I think they should need to be able to speak more to it. But it also takes a a great deal. That means that you're going to have to have somebody who's equipped to do that, and not all leaders or preachers are equipped to do so. Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful because I think you know the more we make sure that the the those who are leading are okay right. um the healthier our churches will be and right. you know that when we one of the the taboo topics when we talk about music ministries especially in gospel music is homosexuality um right. when you when people there's caricatures of ministers of music being homosexual uh men in choirs women in choirs um there's that and nobody everybody they they assume it because of the caricatures they assume it because the leaders or the men in the choir might be more feminine and so they assume it but then they don't say anything mm. or they preach about it um but still will not go and talk to the person directly uh they'll say things across the pulpit um one of the reasons uh I have personally believe this is going on in some churches, not all, is because, you know, to be honest, 
and I might get some flack for this. Somebody, somebody might say something about this. But, you know, sometimes the music ministry leaders know all the tea. They know Absolutely. what's going on. And mm -hmm. then the leaders may be doing something they shouldn't be doing. So it's kind of like, well, if you don't tell on me, I don't it's tell okay. on you. Mm -hmm. And then there's the secret society and secret uh, secrets <laughs> going on and nobody can get free because sin grows in the dark. And right. the more you hide sin, the more it continues to thrive. Um, would you agree with that assessment? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's prevalent. <laughs> it's all around. And the thing is, we don't want to know all the stuff that's going on in the church. But the thing is, what we we see so much, we can't do nothing. But I mean, we're not trying to hold it against anybody. But when they don't have relationships, or don't try to hold relationships with us, we don't want to get with you. We don't want to do anything. But when you see that a person is trying, they're trying to better themselves, trying to do more. And when the leader comes to you and say, "Hey, just do this for me," how do you? <laughs> How do you want to continue to live your life? Okay, I will continue to sing. I will get my check and I will leave and do what I have to do. I will continue to do my own life and do me. So, um, but that's absolutely what it is. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, when we go back to the church being a safe space, I know you talked about this um, before with me, the fact that sometimes even in churches in small groups uh it becomes when you're attempting to be open then you become prey or mm -hmm. as people see you as prey um how has that experience been um have you been able to find in small groups of men that they are open or do they secretly try some may secretly see you as somebody they could prey on mm. Now, I can't personally say that I've had that happen to me, but I don't feel like I can share a lot in a setting uh, about HIV or homosexuality uh, due to uh, being a man and what men are supposed to do, uh, look at women. <laughs> and so the thing is, when I was in a small group, it was comforting at first, and it was great because we did have an open dialogue. I didn't really have to discuss how I was feeling or what I was dealing with, but it was, I was very guarded because I did not know what was going to be, what would be the outcome. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to open up until I see re transparency in another light uh, where I am. And so, it was more, I was more guarded. And I think most guys who are uh, homosexuals or deal with homosexuality, they are guarded and they don't know how other people will see them. And so that leads them to say, you know what? I don't even want to go to church. That's another reason some don't go to church anymore. I, I have a lot of friends. They will not step into the church because they don't feel like they belong. And one look, you never know, one look from somebody can turn, turn them completely away from the church. Not from God, but from the church. And the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, you know? And so uh, with my experiences in small groups, I can't say I've experienced where uh, I've been preyed on, 
but I can say that it's a touchy and private type deal. You don't want to, you stay guarded. You don't really give it all because most of the conversations are solely on, oh, yeah, I was with that chick last night, and God almost got me out, <laughs> you know, different things like that. Those are, those are the conversations that I normally hear when I'm in a small group instead of, and I'm not saying that everything should be solely on homosexuality or what this is, but there's no continual uh, conversation uh, or, or wholesome conversation about how I can better myself. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, and like you uh, constantly say to me, these conversations are needed um, because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're sometimes hit on by people that are married in the church Absolutely. and, and it's, it becomes uh, uh, interesting because you see these people that are married um, and because they've never been able to open up about what they're struggling with, they mm -hmm. end up perpetuating the cycle and also, you know, having secret relationships um, because of it. So if we could talk about it, uh, it could be preventative measures uh, for people before they enter in marriage, thinking marriage will be a cure for uh, their their uh, desire. Uh, it, you don't rush into marriage to cure anything. That doesn't cure, cure anything. Um, so uh, it is important for us to have open conversations and create spaces for people to talk about these things so that people can start getting healing. Um, because I think that's very, very important. Um, how how would you advise people to engage people who are dealing with HIV or just um, homosexuality? Plain and simple, nothing drawn out. Uh, you need to actually have a lot of compassion and genuineness. Um, think about how you were in your situation and your circumstance when it comes to you dealing with anybody who's dealing with that. Uh, if the church had more love, not just for the things that they, they're used to, I promise you the church would be so much bigger and thriving so much more. Um, how to deal with it, that compassion is gonna have to be there. You have to equip people who are full of love, who are selfless um, and are willing to say, I don't mind hanging out with you on a Friday night just to get some lunch or dinner so we can talk out a few things and there's nothing going on with me and you. You can't find that. Uh, people are so stuck on uh, <laughs> their crew and what people may think of them. Who cares? Who's gonna who, nobody's judging you. Do you. So compassion is such a big thing when it comes to that and being genuine and overly loving people. Um, I know that I've been loved by so many people in the church that it make you melt. It make you want to cry because it's just like, man, I see how genuine you are. And I know that there's nothing against, you have nothing against me and you're not judging me, but you're loving me to life. And 
That's the thing. When you find that love God, love people, and people who are serious about it, that's it. There's nothing, there's not, you can talk about it all day, but when you show it, when it shows, people really will connect with you, and you'll make their lives easier and your life easier as well. And it helps out the next person who may, deal with, may be dealing with something else that's not even the same uh, issue as yours. So compassion, genuineness, um, equipping uh, the leaders who desire to help those uh, uh, with HIV or in homosexuality. Uh, read up on your stuff before you even come out. If, you, if you're desiring to uh, help, talk to anybody who's dealing with this because you don't want – that's another thing. You have a lot of people who <laughs> they're just like, oh, I just want to – I want to pray with you. No. Mm -mm. What I need you to do is, <laughs> no, I'm serious. What I need you to do is, I need you to, if you want to really be genuine, go pray first before you come to me. Because you have a lot of people, they want to say, oh, I'm doing this, and I'm helping this person, but your heart is nowhere near it, and it's not in what you're, what you're really saying and doing. And so just having a heart for those who are dealing with it. And I think the church should have... Um, they should have a ministry for every issue in life. Uh, we have it for the bereavement families. We have it for uh, um, the cancer society. We have it for so many things. But I don't think this area they have, uh, they have anything for. Some ministries may, and I, I, I don't want to knock all ministries, but some ministries, majority of ministries don't have that opportunity to help those dealing with this. Uh, HIV is it's not it's not easy to deal with. Depression is real. It is a real thing, and suicidal thoughts are real. Thank God I have not had that. To God be the glory, but it's a real thing. I've had friends die from uh, killing themselves because once they found out that was that was it. And so you, it takes a heart to deal with something like this because people want to give up as soon as they hear the diagnosis. Guarantee give up. And so that's, again, back to what we first started in the beginning. That's why I am open about this, because I want people to be able to heal openly. And I said, I, I've been saying this and telling you, closed mouths don't get healed. And the more you talk about it, the more you find yourself being healed. So, yeah. Yes. Amen. I think, I think your story is going to help and bless many. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I believe that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard what God's going to do uh, with uh, with your testimony. Um, I think there's some takeaways that we could take from this um, through listening to your story that I think are very key, even going back to your childhood. And there's an assumption sometimes with parents that because their ch their children are in church, that they're not in danger of being prey. Or they're in a safe place. Or they're in a safe place. They're in a safe place. And so we know this is not all churches, but you want to make sure that you are with your child, um, that you uh, don't assume things, that you ask questions, um, because there are countless stories of children being um, taken advantage of in church by church leaders. Um, and that's and that's not I mean, we're not making a blanket statement about every church, but you can be mm 
over you can it's just be careful that's that's all we want to leave you with just be careful and be prayerful um number two make sure you get tested absolutely um you know that there's because we we teach that uh we should abstain from sex from marriage we preach that but not everybody's living that um so we want to encourage uh folks to get tested inside and outside the church because this is a a, a, a disease that's spreading rapidly through the african-american community especially so we want to encourage you to get tested i believe it only takes a, a few a few minutes to get tested they have testing buses that that go throughout the community you could go see your primary Google it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any other directives you would say about getting tested? Um, you can always Google the local, your local um, blood drive and uh, local clinics. Uh, I know there are several in Jacksonville, and I know there are several in Dallas as well. So um, that's all you have to do. And they have apps for it as well. So you can there's it's all it's always something you can do or some some type of way to get tested. And if you're scared, I trust that you should go with somebody so you won't feel alone. Uh, that makes it easier as well. Um, but if you are out there and you are unaware, please don't spread it, especially if you are married and you know you've done something outside of marriage. Please, please think about the other person. Please, and get tested. Amen. Amen. Get tested. <laughs> Um, and also I I think something that's key is to be compassionate in the church. Mm -hmm. I know when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to HIV, people don't want to have the conversation, but we, we are past due for a conversation. Absolutely. We need to have open dialogue and we have to have dialogue that's compassionate. We can't have dialogue that starts with uh, condemnation. We have to have dialogue that starts with compassion. We have to not alienate people because they seem different. Um, I, spe- I think it's especially more taboo when it comes to black men, um, mm-hmm. not wanting to be seen with men that may be more uh, feminine because they, they, th- then people start to begin to say, well, where, where's, what are they, where's their sexuality? But Rich Wilkerson, um, which is a pastor in South Florida says, something that I think is very critical. Jesus wasn't afraid to be guilty by association. He was seen with thieves. He was seen with prostitutes. Uh, He was seen with tax collectors. He was seen with the outcast of society. And he he wasn't afraid to be guilty by association. So we shouldn't be either. And I think that's something we should remember as believers. Um, we should be the hands and feet of Jesus and do what he would have done, said what he would have said, speak the truth in love. And also, even in that as well, I think it's important to remember that even if you're struggling uh, with sexuality, HIV, and you've had bad experience at a particular church, that's not every church. I heard one pastor say, if you have bad food at a restaurant, you don't stop eating. You just stop going to that restaurant. Absolutely. And so if you want grace for people from people, 
for what your issues are, you need to give grace to even people who are hypocrites. Mm. Give grace to people who might say the wrong things and do the wrong things because you don't always get it right. You don't always say the right things. You sometimes misjudge things. And so give space for even, give grace to even hypocrites. Give grace to people who have judged you because you want that same grace to be bestowed unto you. And I think that's important that we not throw away the church because of what they've done wrong or what we've done wrong, but we look and seek out opportunities to help the, the church get it right. And I think that uh, is key because me and Dion have been friends since second grade. Uh, mm -hmm. We both know the, the details of each other's lives. We mm -hmm. both said things I, I know I've said things that have been wrong that have come off judgmental and you've given me grace to fail and space to learn. And so I appreciate that. And I think that's kind of the relationships that the church has to understand. You're not going to always say it right. You're not going to always do it right. But give people grace. And I always agree too. Mm -hmm. Huh? And may not always agree as well. Yeah. It doesn't we mean that you don't, don't love the person. Yeah. We don't always agree on everything. We've laughed, we've cried, uh, we've fought. <laughs> <Yes>, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's that's the beauty of building relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that we have to um, learn um, in the body of Christ to be helpful. Uh, Dion, I want to give you some last words. What would you leave our our listeners with? Um. Just love as much as you can. You don't know what day you'll leave this earth. Um, I just pray that my story helps somebody. It probably was a little, it may help one person, but hopefully it helps somebody um, be compassionate as much as possible. Share the love of Christ as much as you can. Embrace those who are around you. If you don't know anybody who, if you know somebody who is HIV positive, I take the time to get to know them not their issue, not their struggle, but get to know them. And I guarantee you, they will have so much love and so much to share and so much to give. Um, continue to just be open and honest. And I pray that the church will open up when it comes to this, these two issues, homosexuality and HIV and AIDS, so that the world can be a better place. If the church is supposed to be a safe haven, let's let it be. So, my prayer is that that happens. Awesome. Well, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Jude 3 Project. I hope you enjoyed uh, my friend Dion White. I'm so thankful for his testimony and bravery. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you would, if you would love to hear other episodes, you can catch us at Jude3Project.com. Uh, we do this every week, every Monday on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. We'll see you next week and God bless. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jew 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. 
Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.